This episode of the DGMG podcast, that's my podcast, is brought to you by Oribi, O-R-I-B-I, O-R-I-B-I, Oribi. Here's the cool thing about them advertising on this podcast, by the way, just a quick note, it's working. So a bunch of people actually went and used Oribi and signed up and started having success with the product. So they came back and they were like, Dave, can we keep sponsoring your podcast? And I said, yes, it's always great when it works out that way. And Oribi is awesome because they are providing an alternative, finally, an alternative to Google Analytics. And it's the alternative that a lot of people have been waiting for. I talked to a lot of marketers and Google Analytics is one of those things that you love it or hate it. And so if you're in that other camp or just looking for something new, you should go and check out Aribi. They have customers like Sony, Audi, Panasonic, and Pizza Hut. And it's great because once you connect Aribi to your website, you can really quickly analyze what's going on and see how people engage, not just with a form on your website, but with everything. CTAs, forms, pop-ups, images, videos, landing pages, and it works across all the domains that you have. And you can even see specifically what is leading to conversions. And marketing is ultimately just a game of let's go do more of what's working. So Aribi can help show you that. And the best part is it happens all automatically, right? You're busy, I'm busy. Using Aribi is like having a marketing analyst on your team working 24 hours a day that can give you what you need on demand. And whether you have a new campaign running, new ad creative, new landing page, there's so many things that we are testing and want to be measuring daily. And it's really easy to do that with Aribi, even if it's something like you just shipped a new pillar piece of content that the team has been working on for months and you want to know how that content is impacting conversion, you can do that. Just log into Aribi. You'll learn how people are interacting with all of your marketing. And in no time, you'll get better at prioritizing what's working. And so you can throw out what's not and double down on the stuff that actually is having an impact. Plus, it's super simple to set up. They've got great customer service and tech support in case you need any help. And if you're like me, I'm sending a million questions in to customer support, but maybe that's just me. You can check them out at aribi.io. That's O-R-I-B-I dot I-O. And if you do aribi.io slash DGMG, and you sign up through that link, you'll get 20% off any plan or punch in the promo code DGMG. You'll get 20% off any plan Oribi.io, O-R-I-B-I.io. Check them out and say bye-bye to Google Analytics. This episode is also brought to you by my friends at Lemon Pie. They're the ones who produce this show for me. They're awesome at what they do, and I can't recommend their work enough. They make it super easy for me, and I know that they can help you too if you want to launch a podcast strategy for your brand. Check them out at www.lemonpie.fm and tell them I sent you. That's www.lemonpie.fm. Tell them that I sent you. All right, let's get into this episode. Hey, I'm Dave Gerhardt, and you're listening to the DGMG Podcast. This is the place where I share marketing lessons and learnings every week. My guest on this episode is Guillaume Caban. He's co-founder at Hypergrowth Partners. He's a former VP of Growth at Segment. My colleague as VP of Growth at Drift. Here he is, G. Okay, G, you and I go way back. I'm glad to have you on on this podcast, finally. So you're a little bit different than the other CMOs that I have on here, and that's why I love you and wanted to have you on. So let's just, let's just get into what's happening right now. You have a playbook for B2B SaaS, and we'll talk about that. But like, wh- mm-hmm. what's happening now? March, we're recording this March of 2021. How do you define the B2B SaaS playbook today? Um, yeah, thanks for having me. And yeah, I'm different. For starters, I'm not a CMO. So that makes me different. But there is what's different these days is that 
you probably saw that the private markets for SaaS are going insane. And, and you know, I'm, I'm an angel investor, so I see multiples in valuations. And you'll see in a second how this is related to marketing. But it all comes from like the recent fundraisers and the private valuations. Recent fundraisers have gone like bonkers, right? We're seeing like 200x like multiples on revenue. And founders are taking that. Why shouldn't they? Now, the thing is that those valuations, those multiples come with extremely high expectations of future growth. Extremely high. And they are justified in some cases. We've seen the e-commerce market last year go crazy because of the pandemic. And that's just one example. The thing is, right. that's becoming the norm expectation within SaaS is 3x year over year just isn't enough. Now we're seeing companies who are doing like 5, 6, 10x year over year. Right? And you and I've been there. We've been you in know that, what's, right? You know what's funny? So I did a podcast with this guy, Chris Walker, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And uh, he had a great line that I've never heard anybody say. And I think this is all something we thought. He's like, I feel for you if you run marketing at a Series A, Series B, high growth startup, because that is the fucking hardest job in the world, simply because exactly what you said, you could grow 3X and that's not enough. It's not enough. <laughs> It's not enough. It's definitely not enough, right? It's okay. And so what's happening, what's different, is that now you've got to do two things at once. So there's, there's a couple of things. Uh, let's say there's all the, all the quick wins um, that you need to execute on with, let's say, really high accuracy. And, and that's where you and I probably have some cool things to say. When you start going over 5x year over year, a lot of stuff will break very quickly. Mm -hmm. Organizationally, uh, process, campaigns, and just scale. The things that you are doing now are going to be completely irrelevant one year from now when you're 5x beyond. And so you need to rework your org, you need to rework your, your marketing stack completely, very, very frequently. And that takes a huge toll on your ability to execute. So that's what's different. March 2021, the consequences of high growth expectations on marketing are dramatically different than what they were like one year or two years ago. I want to talk a lot about the tactics because I think that's the stuff that people love and um, we don't get into often. But like, let me try to like to explain this in a way that I can ask you a question. I think like the B2B marketing is harder than ever because there's more companies than ever. There's more channels than ever. Things like advertising and you know the latest news from Google and Facebook are going to make retargeting and advertising you know things like that harder i think people are more shopping than they are buying you know oftentimes in b2b there's not some huge pain you have to create that pain so there's a lot of factors that make it hard if i was starting a new b2b saas company what's in the playbook of like the things that i should be doing right knowing that yeah. like you can't just write an ebook and call content leads you've been a big believer in like in intent so i'm just curious to pick your brain on what the yeah. modern playbook looks like yeah the modern playbook and and just for context like i focus on uh, companies who are the inflection point of growth so like they have they are post product market fit they are post a couple millions in revenue and they want to go from a couple millions yeah. to like 30, 40 millions in revenue, right? So they already have a good product. Okay. Uh, and they're okay. trying to like say, hey, we're going to hire a VP of marketing, we're going to hire a CMO, we just don't know where to start. We know people are paying for this thing that we have, but like, what's next? How do we like take over the market? Yeah. Oftentimes yeah. at that stage, it's not like, oftentimes at that stage, it's not that marketing was the thing that got them to 4 million ARR, for example. Absolutely. It's usually like, yeah. 
product. We're hopping. We're, we're, we're virtual events platform. You know, you happen to have the right product, the right time. Like, you know, they grew from zero to, we know what privately, uh, we do without any freaking marketing. And then you might come in to try to create a system of, and I think that, I think that to me, especially if you're a marketing leader, you're taking a job. Those are the fun companies to pick from because there's already, there's Mm -hmm. already something there. Yeah. Yeah. And as you know, I'm, you know, working on something with Hopin and and a couple of others and Hopin is a good example. Like absolutely all of those are product led growth initially. And the reason why they're thinking they're reaching out to people like me today is because they know that the fire hose they're drinking from, which is just like product-led growth fueled by pandemic, won't be enough for the next phase of growth. It's just not enough, okay? Right. Um, and other companies who are doing full-on paid, and I've got one right now who's spending $150,000 per month on paid for B2B leads, all right? And what's happening, it's not that it's not working, is that the CAC is going up so much, they know it's not sustainable. They know that three months from now, if the trend continues, they won't be able to acquire customers. It's not going to be profitable. So what the, from a tactical standpoint, what I'm seeing more and more, and that's related to intent and a couple of other things, it's how do you find a way to get free leads, free or as close to free as possible, high-quality leads to your salespeople in B2B. Okay, because you're, everybody's getting crushed by a CAC. And again, that's related back to what we said on the private markets. Because there's so much money raised, the easy answer is just throw a bunch of money on Google and Facebook edits. Okay, the problem is that right. your ACV doesn't sustain it. The LTV, the, what you're selling and how long people are retaining, doesn't sustain it. So you, and you got to keep a high margin, right? And so you can't lose money. All right. Uh, you can't do like a, a three-year return investment on on like a, on a SaaS acquisition. That doesn't work out. Yeah, it's hard to advertise in those channels. Like from for B two B SaaS. Like what you're talking about is like product led growth is the playbook for B two B SaaS. The way to reduce CAC is to have some type of free way to use your product. I just think like if you're a B two B SaaS company, you're coming on the scene, and the first thing you're doing is just like cold advertising to drive people to your you know, your thing. I just feel like all of these modern companies are going to this product-led growth approach where there's some, or they have both. They have bottoms up and top down. Exactly. And that's a difficult thing to do, especially just when you're like 50 people and you're just coming out of a series A. It's difficult to do both, right? The second thing is when you think of product-led growth, the problem is that it doesn't apply to many businesses who can't have a, a freemium offering or who just there's nothing that the product can be externally before the sales motion. And so when I say it's got to be free acquisition, there are other ways than PLG to do free acquisition, Right, and the the core of the strategy is how do you prove value? How do you, I'd say, offer value to the prospect before they engage with you? Okay, and that's why most most marketing fails. I just reviewed an outbound campaign from the same company that's doing like 150k in monthly spend yesterday night, and I reviewed the six emails, and they're making a ton of money, and they're raising a huge, huge like multi-billion-dollar valuation. The emails are all about them, the product. It's, here's our product, here's what we do, here's why we're better. It's all about them. It's a classic mistake, right? It's a classic mistake. They don't know who they're talking to. They don't know what the pain of the customer is. They're not offering any insights, anything of value. So, of course, the uh, performance of such campaigns is bad, right? And so the mindset is not so, imagine you know that. The challenge is, how do you solve that? How do you 
create value pre-product as a marketer in a way that you can communicate, offer that, and bring the people to you at as close to $0 cost as possible. That is the winning tactic these days. I think, G, what G just broke down is like the starting point to build a funnel. And I think so many B2B SaaS companies don't, they don't have this. They don't have something in front of the funnel to get somebody in the funnel. And by the way, this is just called a lead magnet. And it's been that way forever since people were sent doing direct mail and you'd get a free assessment from your chiropractor to go in and get an appointment. It's the same thing, but it's the mindset applied to B2B SaaS. And so here's an example. If I'm selling an event SaaS product, right? Don't just have book a demo, be your call to action, have something in front of that, which is like, try the free version because that's really low risk, low friction. Or if you don't even have a free version, my favorite example all the time of this is HubSpot website grader, which yep. is like, that creates an amazing funnel, which is like, hey, we're selling a product that's going to help you optimize your website. You're going to go to HubSpot's website grader, put in your URL. We're going to spit that out. G and I did an amazing campaign working together when we worked at Drift, where we did like a, a study and we let people test their responses, see how fast your team is responding to your leads. And so that has nothing to do with our product. That has nothing to do with our company. That has everything to do with like, you might have this pain, submit your info. We're going to spit out all this useful stuff back to you. And then that's going to give the sales team at least something relevant to reach out and say, hey, G, your site is converting 50% worse than it should. And I have three tips with how I can help. Do you want me to show you? Then that actually gives the sales team something to talk about. So I have two things to add to that. Because so this lead magnet and self-assessment with a form, HubSpot Greater, uh, has been known for like 10, 15, even more years, right? And it works great. A couple of problems. Everyone knows about it. And two, it requires that your potential leads, your, your market actually engages and submits some information. And, and that you know, is a friction point. So the two recommendations and what growth is about, and that's where a bit of it differentiates, is, and what we did at Drift and what I'm doing elsewhere, is how can you automate the data collection so that you can make a prediction that is as close to reality so that you can offer the insight without the friction? I'll repeat, offer the value without the friction. Okay, that is critical. The second piece of advice I have is people say, oh, I can't do that. My prediction is wrong. I've tested that, my friends. I have tested not doing the prediction versus doing, I'd say, an average out prediction of like the response time, if that's the value you're offering. I can tell you people will respond and engage with a wrong prediction more than they will with no prediction. Because DG is going to respond and say, no, 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 my response time is not two days, it's one day. As a marketer, I have one. 100%. My favorite, and I've shared this now, but I did this copywriting course over the summer. And I shared like my favorite cold email. My favorite cold email to send is basically questioning the potential customer about the thing that you could solve. So if I sold you event software, I would just cold outbound to G. And if I knew you were the right contact, because 50% of the outreach is getting the list right, at least. Um, I'm reaching out to you and I say, hey, G, is there a reason that you're not using an event platform today? Because even if you are, you're going to reach out to me and say, oh, Dave, yes, we're using Bizabo. Or you're going to say, no, we're not. Why? And mm-hmm. the goal, just like mark, like anything in marketing, the goal, and that's why I love your the, the outbound stuff that you do, is like 
the goal is not to get somebody to go from cold to demo. The goal mm-hmm. is to get them to go from cold to respond. And now mm-hmm. I have an interested person in a conver- somebody I can have a conversation yeah. with. When you're thinking about automating the information capture and the prediction, one strong recommendation, whatever you pull from a recommendation you make, it has to be factual. You have to be able to point to like a factual thing. All right. That helps a lot. So for example, if you look at the response time, we had a traceable proof that we made a demo request on the website and that we had an email response. And the delay between both is the response time. I've done things where I scrape Instagram for negative comments on e-commerce brands. And I screenshot that and inject it and send it to the brand rep and say, hey, like people are saying bad things about your products, like you should take care of it. All right. And it's True, they should take care of it. Two, it's good advice. And three, it's factual. Like, there's a link to the Instagram post. All right? Obviously, there's two things. I do not talk about my product at the beginning of my email. But yes, it does so happen that my product helps with those things. But I'm not saying, hey, like, my product is a great Instagram, I'd say connector, blah, 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 whatever it is, right? You have this problem. You should take care of it. Do you want some help? That's it. So you're basically saying, I talked about the lead magnet, which is somebody coming inbound. You're talking about going out. So I, I'm not going to wait until these people magically find my website and come to me. So can you just unpack for people like how you do that? Yep. Because it's a combination of like data providers. So it's a combination of data providers and, and a way to send email. But even before that, yeah. so if you, could ex- if you could explain that. Yeah. But yeah, also yeah. even before that, it's almost like you have to first have the thought of What's the question I want to ask? What's the piece of data that I want to get? Because I think you're good at that. So take a step back. When you think of B2B, people generally split inbound, people who come to your site or your chat or whatever, and the outbound, which is companies you've identified you want to sell to. And I think that's, that's a mistake. For most B2B SaaS out there, there's a finite market. Let's just say that, again, like you are a uh, hopping, great example, right? And you're selling to companies who know, organize events online. There's a finite market of those companies in the US, all right? And if you have a qualification of some sort, companies who do maybe like more than four events a month, that's maybe 100,000 companies in the US. You should have the lists of those companies in a CRM or, let's say, database CDP of sorts. And then you attach to that all of the events, whether those are inbound events, people coming to you, or whether those are outbound events. And that's the same base, the same companies, and it's the same people, right? And so you want to avoid the disconnect or the breakdown in experience between inbound and outbound, okay? When you start having that database, and you start applying lead scoring before they come to you, and that's very important, you score all of the companies in your total market as you know about them, then you decide which ones are valuable, which ones are not valuable. The valuable ones, which one of those are engaged, which ones of those are not? Do you need to engage more people? And how far down the intent, the buyer's intent, are they? That's when you can start, let's say, uh, buying some data to know what are they doing outside of your website, those companies. Can you scrape social networks? Can you look at what they're doing on uh, LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook? Can you look at, you know, what they're visiting on G2? Who are they hiring? There's a list of all those things, but the point is, you're just monitoring buying behavior that's expressed in a public way, okay? And then you decide how much marketing and sales 
pressure you want to put. Do you want to send emails to one person, five people? Do you want to send them a gift? Do you want to invite them to a, a VIP event? All of that is based on the decision of two criteria, how qualified they are for your product, so firmographic score, and what is their behavioral score. That's it. I love this. Hey, real quick, I just want to plug the DGMG community. You can go and join it right from my website, davegerhardt.com. By the way, if you haven't been there, davegerhardt.com, you'll have all the links. That's how you can go join. But DGMG, the community, it's my members-only B2B marketing community. In the last year, it's grown to over 2,500 members. And it's incredible because it's like having a sounding board outside of your company, which is so valuable as a marketer. So inside of the group, people are getting feedback. They're getting recommendations on tools. They're getting campaign ideas. They're, sometimes people even message me to post anonymous questions about salary and hiring and interviewing. And I'm in the group every single day like sharing my own stuff too. There's 10 to 12 new posts every day. If you join, you can go all the way back as far as the group goes to see all of the content from the last year. And I don't want to oversell it, but I know that you'll see our from it instantly. It's $10 a month to join. You can cancel at any time. So there's really no risk. And you can kind of, you can always DM me and tell me if you thought it was a fraud. So it's $10 a month to join. There's 2,500 members in there. It's become an incredibly valuable part of my workflow as a marketer. And I know it will for you too. So you can go and sign up at davegerhart.com. There's a link you'll see over there to join the DGMG community. All right, let's get back to this episode. So a couple, a couple follow-ups. One is what is the I love the idea of having a list because I think it just forces your focus. And I like, instead of thinking inbound, outbound first, you think list first because yes. then you have your universe of companies. Should every company have that list defined? Like what if you are, you sell B2B, but it's super high volumes, SMB. Is there some certain threshold for like company size that you should be, you know, mm. have this list for? Like, or, you know, because you're not going to have so, 20,000 accounts, are you? Well, a company I just recently helped for the past couple of years, Gorgeous.com. Okay, e-commerce focus. It's a help desk e-commerce. Any merchant in the U.S. is you know a potential customer. There's a lot of those. Okay, so we have a call list which is merchants with over a million dollars in gross merchandise volume, and that's a hundred thousand ish accounts in the U.S. And then there's everything that's beyond that, and our efforts, eighty percent of the revenue is on that hundred k, anyways. The rest is just like not qualified. They might come in. It's what we call like self-serve. And if you do, if you have a SaaS business and you have like SMB focus, you have this self-serve motion. We talked earlier of the spectrum from like self-serve PLG to self-assisted. The bottom of the self-serve generally is a, a high volume, low revenue. And it's good for brand. It's just not good for revenue. Every SaaS business actually goes up market because that's where the money is. So the list is focused on where 80% of your revenue is. But in that world, you can still take something which is like, you know that gorgeous customers are using Shopify and you could outbound to known Shopify accounts and that could be one way to do that as opposed to still waiting for them to come in. Absolutely, and that's what we do. We monitor all those top 100,000 Shopify merchants and we also we get signals for all the others, right? And we do outbound, call, send gifts, invite them to events based on the technologies they have on the website. For example, I'll give you a simple one. There's a great integration between Gorgeous and another e-commerce platform that's uh, you know either Privy or Clavio, right? If they install one of those platforms, we know that they are going to get more value from a product. 
which means from a behavioral standpoint, we saw two things. One, they have budget for technology. There's a buyer. And two, they're going to get more value, right? So we can, we have a reason to reach out. We have a timing component to reach out. And so if you're selling technology and you have integrations and you're not monitoring your potential customers, your TAM, for integration onboarding, you're making a big mistake, a huge mistake. How do you tie the whole thing together? Like, Because ideally you're doing outbound, but also doing inbound, right? And so if you have your list of accounts, how do you like marry those things together? Or what are the interesting things that, that you would want? So I'm doing outbound to hop in and I got nothing, but they all of a sudden registered for something. Like, Do you tie all those things together and just use them as we different do. data points on, on, on when to reach out? Or, or from a, What does that do? Change the lead scoring? It changes the behavioral score. The lead is the same. The, the value of the company, basically the price you're going to sell them at, ah. which is, is, is the same. The likelihood to close is higher. They have now expressed more clearly the intents or, or the desire to work with you. Okay, by coming to your website or by registering for a webinar, whatever it is. Okay, so that increases the likelihood. What you should do, and what I do when I when I help companies, is I have this big list of all the accounts, and then we apply the two scores: the uh, lead score, what we call the firmographic, and then the behavior score. We multiply the forecasted, say, ACV per account by those two scores, and that gives us a dollar value for each company right now. And then you say, hey, my CAC is 30%. Cool, multiply that by 0.3. And now we, know, now we have your budget. How much you're ready to spend to close that account. That is the winning strategy. That is how I crush competition online. So you define your CAC. How do you find that in the earlier stages of a company? Because a lot of people might not have the perfectly defined CAC yet. Like, do you just, is there a good way to just come up with a ballpark? How much you're ready to spend? Generally, the founders know or get from their investors the metric, which is in an, let's say when you take the entire uh, go-to-market motion, the expectations on SaaS are generally a dollar of spend for a dollar of annual revenue. That's the expectation. Yep. So if you have, and you know the headcount cost, the pure marketing cost is generally around 30 40%. Okay, so that's what it is. Now you also know your your product, how much you're selling the ACV, right? The average contract value, right? So just take thirty percent of that. Just start there for the pure marketing cost. It's a good ballpark, honestly. Thirty percent of the ACV. Yeah, for the pure marketing, removing sales and and yeah. headcount, just the the discretionary spend. If you're a marketer at a SaaS company, are you looking mm-hmm. at that on day one, the first campaign that you run? You're looking at CAC um, and payback. No, because uh, generally it doesn't close that fast. It takes a couple of weeks or months. What I'm looking at is, um, do I have depth in, this, in the various channels? Right? Do I have performance and do I have depth? CAC is just one metric of performance with like just like the activity on the channel. Like are people clicking and coming to me and are they converting? Right? That's just like CAC is the combination of those things. Then depth is, well, maybe you have very high performance, but there's no depth. Right. Let's just imagine, um, for example, you're doing ads on Reddit. Right. You found a great community on Reddit. Maybe you have a great performance there on Quora. Right. Fantastic. But the depth on those channels is it's very shallow. Right. You're gonna get maybe like 20, 30 clicks a day, and then you want like 10 times that, and the answer is no. Right. 
Yeah, and I'm, and you, that's stuff that you should learn quickly because you put that all of a sudden you realize that there's just not enough inventory there. That if you only generate yes. three meetings from the channel, it's great. But should you spend your time there? And that's generally what I recommend CMOs doing, which is doing a curve of the increasing CAC with scale. Because all the marketing teams do the same thing. We go for the low-hanging fruits. Right? We test a lot of different channels and we find some wins. And you find a CAC. Let's say your CAC is 100 bucks. The mistake you should avoid at all costs is having the CMO or founder take that metric and let's say scale it to the infinite on a spreadsheet and say, cool, in two years our CAC is going to be 100 bucks and we'll do 100 times the volume. That is not possible, okay? Because as you have plucked those low-hanging fruits and you've used those great channels, the next one, the next campaign, the next channel is going to be just a bit more expensive and more expensive and more expensive. And eventually your CAC is going to rise and rise and rise and CAC is going to kill you. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the reasons that I'm such a big proponent of building a brand and building inbound channels because... Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you can do both of those things, I think you get a little, you have a little bit more leeway on the CAC side of things because what happens is as you grow, that stuff compounds. And so in year two and year three, you now have more people that are just naturally going to show up to your front door because you have a podcast, because you've been producing content, because you've been doing those other things. And so ideally, your baseline of, well, how many people are, if we turned all, paid spend off. Because look, if you're just doing content, then your CAC is going to be your marketing headcount plus like whatever you pay to produce content, right? So if you turned all that off, how many people are going to come to your site? And then from there, you have a baseline of like, what are you going to bring in? And, and hopefully that compounds. And so, yeah, you got to be able to do both, which is also why the marketing job is hard because you got to be able to hit the number this quarter while also building the right foundation that's going to allow you to scale successfully in year two, three, four, five, whatever. Absolutely. Absolutely. And many people think of what I do as magic. I think of building a brand as magic. I just don't understand how like, you go from not having a brand to like one day people know and love you and just come to you without you doing anything. Like well, that is just For me, that's just pure magic. It's sorcery. Yeah, and, and in my head, I'm like, he said, divided by three, <laughs> carry the one. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I know I, I said something recently that I think like, I think that brand, so the stuff that you do specifically with Outbound, the power of a strong brand and Outbound is such a great channel because, you know, everybody's trying to do Outbound in some capacity as you go up market. But as you're knocking on doors, if you're knocking on someone's door and you're like, Hey, I'm Dave. You have no idea who I am. And will you buy my product, right? But if you can do outbound with a brand that people know, you have such an advantage. You, you have that air cover. Mm -hmm. I think where it gets hard is it's hard to just think about it from I think now I have enough experience where I think I've learned lessons that I would that I could do differently in, in the future. But it, it's hard to think about you usually have a big number to hit this year and you're sitting there looking at your budget and you're like, I want to spend it all on this year. And it's hard to find the balance between like, you know, short-term and, and long-term channels and measurable and non-measurable channels. Cause I think some of the stuff is harder to measure, but, but absolutely. If you want to succeed, you need a profile like DG and a profile like me. Like you gotta, you gotta hit up. If you have like a five X or more than five X goal this year, like you need to hit on both fronts. Like yeah. one of those two is just not enough. Agreed. Or else you just play the optimization game, which is like drives everybody nuts. And it, that's mm -hmm. how you burn everybody out. Absolutely. So my opinion is that the 
the growth team should be independent. It's not just about ego. I believe it is about uh, the incentives and the measurements. A marketing team and a product team both are incentivized to succeed at every launch, especially when it's a product launch. They're not allowed to fail. Okay, So they are not so much experimenting as they are uh, running perfect execution game and they're front-loading the cost of research for success. The growth team's job is experimentation, which means their job is to lower the cost of learning and then cleaning the mess up when things work. It's a VC game, right? It's uh, basically spray and pray, if you want, of sorts, and find outliers. So the incentives are very different. Both can be measured in, in revenue impact, but the way you manage the team is inherently different. And if you put growth within marketing, growth in product, eventually it's going to be difficult from a cultural standpoint because one team is going to be allowed to fail very often, even with good reasons, and the other is not. And that's just hard to manage. But it takes having done it. it t- I also think it takes like, I think if you're just trying to spin up a new growth team inside of a company, then it could go in different places. But like, it usually takes like, this is Guillaume, he knows growth. This is Brian Balfour, he knows growth. Mm-hmm. They come into companies and you know that changes the perspective of it. Um, Okay, G, you got to go. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for hopping in. This will be 30 minutes of of value and it'll fill your pipeline even bigger than than it already (laughs) DG, thanks. Good talking to you. Let's catch up separately. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the DGMG podcast. If you learned anything new from this episode or got one valuable piece of marketing knowledge, it'd make my day to leave a review. I like to look at them. I like to see what people are thinking and hear about. Or if you didn't like it, leave me some feedback. Otherwise, I will talk to you on the next episode. See ya.